Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to go to the book of Judges. We just finished up a series um, on Wednesday night, right in the eye. And uh, uh, so Wednesday was the last one. And we're going we're gonna to dive into a, a judge that I think a lot of us can relate to, specifically the men in the room. And um, uh, uh, this dude, this dude kind of stands out to me uh, as, a, as a model. And uh, it's one of those things, man, if, if God can work in this dude's life, he can work in anybody's life. And that's what I like about the Bible. Uh, there's times it gets messy, yet it, um, it, it shows life as it is. But it, there's reconciliation, there's restoration. And, um, and we get to do that. So before we get um, into the text for the day, I'd like to just bring up Ephesians 2.18. Ephesians 2.18, just to uh, kind of give encouragement to everybody watching and in the room. Ephesians 2.18, now, now all of us, and for those of you regular attenders at Life Church, what does the word all mean? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, that Greek, you guys pick it up so, so well. It's impressive. Now all, all, that's all of us can come to the Father, the Heavenly Father, God, through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And... Um, Here's the deal. I don't know what kind of biological father you had, the upbringing you had. Um, I know in my family tree, we had somebody fall out of the tree, basically. Not, not the best example. And uh, I'm grateful that I had a father who, who chose uh, to make a difference. So again, your concept, your picture, your impression of what God is, who he is, uh, because um, of, of the upbringing, your, your biological father does impact that kind of uh, perspective. So we can dive into the Bible and find out the character of God. And I tell you what, man, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a new family tree. And that's God's family tree. And your heavenly father, God, man, is your heavenly father. And he can make up the difference, man. He can make up for all the mess that maybe you grew up in and, and really bring healing. And I think there's a lot of men running around today that are carrying baggage with them because they never reconcile that fact of their biological father looking for his affirmation, for his love, for his affection. And instead, they go through entire life. I, I talked to somebody yesterday, and I said, I think a lot of men, when they hit around 70 years old, they just kind of say, man, I've got a lot of regrets, you know? I've got a lot of regrets. And really, it's too late to make a difference. So the cool thing about being a follower of Christ, you get to start all over. You know? You do. And God can bring healing and restoration, and you can finish your life without regrets, knowing that you're loved by your Heavenly Father. And I tell you what, when a man is secure in that fact, whew, 
uh, cool things happen, as we're going to find out in just a few moments. So, so all of us, all of us can come to the Father. It's not a, it's not a secret club. It's not a few. It's all of us through the same Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. And what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. He paid for our sin debt in full. And therefore, um, when we put our faith and trust in him, our sins are forgiven. Our names are written in the book of life. We are adopted into God's family. And we have an inheritance waiting for us as well. So, all right. You have your notes online. Pull them up as well. We're born for the storm. How many dudes have been born for the storm? Huh? Hopefully, hopefully when, when we go through life again, we see, hey, life has challenges. And therefore, um, with God's help, we can get through the storms of life again. Storms can cripple us or storms can empower us as we trust the Lord in, in, in walking us through all those things. So we're going we're gonna to go to um, um, Judges chapter 11. Before we do, James Braddock, some of you, uh, some of you might remember him. His, his, he was down on life for a, for a time. He was a once successful amateur turned professional boxer. He had a broken hand, and the, and the stock market crashed in 1926, and that left Braddock destitute. Man, he hit the bottom of the barrel financially. Man, he was struggling to keep food on the table for his young family. Things were not looking good. And then all of a sudden, Braddock's future changed. How did it change? Well, thanks to a last-minute cancellation by another boxer, Braddock got a second chance, <laughs> by this time, he was out of shape, <laughs> and he was past his prime. Some of you this morning feel out of shape, and you feel past your prime. Don't give up. There's, there's hope, just like we, we'll get, get in here. Um, Braddock was pitted against the number two contender in the world by promoters who saw Braddock as nothing more than a punching bag. They figured the number two dude in the world, he's just going to crush Braddock. We need somebody to get into the ring with him. And so they figured, uh, he's our guy. Uh, it's going to be a quick fight. But in one of the greatest upsets in boxing history, Braddock stunned both the experts and the fans with a third-round knockout of his opponent. That got everybody's attention. It did. Fighting with permanent injuries to his hands now, Braddock continued to win. He continued to win, and before long, he started kind of being that figure, that picture in America's eyes. You know, the public, they were coping with the Great Depression, man. People were struggling emotionally. People were struggling financially. And Braddock, who came out of nowhere and kind of the success story of the time, man, they said, he's our dude, you know, he's our man. On June 13th, 1935, on Long Island City in New York, that was 86 years ago for all you mathematicians out there. I helped you already. Uh, Braddock was a 10 to 1 underdog. And he won the heavyweight, heavyweight championship of the world 
from the invincible Max Bayer. Max Bayer, man, he was he was going to crush Braddock, ten to one odds against Braddock, and he and he beat the dude. It's kind of a fairy tale, you know. Rise from a poor local fighter to the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. Whew, pretty cool. That gave James Braddock a brand new name. He was called the Cinderella Man. Because we all like Cinderella stories, don't we? We sure do. You know, life and literature, uh, it's filled with Cinderella stories. Timeless tales about those who were on the downtrodden. They were outcasts. And they eventually go from nothing to um, being an asset in their world. You may feel like you're downtrodden, that life has beat you up, that uh, things, this life is going against you. We're going to find out this morning that God never gives up on you or me, no matter what kind of past we have. So we're going to go to Judges chapter 11. We're going to pick it up at verse 29. It's not in your notes, so you're going to have to open up your Bibles, your smartphones, your version. Judges 11, verse 29. At that time, and you might ask, what time was that? Well, we'll get to that. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he went throughout the land of Gilead, Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. Verse 32, so Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. And the Lord gave him victory. Once again, uh, you and I were designed to experience victory in life. Victory in our relationship with the Lord. Victory uh, against good and evil. Victory um, in our spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for you and me, to experience consistent victory. And so um, he gave victory to Jephthah on the battlefield. And when we read those couple verses, um, uh, that's pretty exciting. But there's a story before the story, and we're going to dig into it in just a moment. Father, thank you this morning for your word. We're excited today because you're our Heavenly Father. We can put our hope and trust in you. And sometimes when people let us down, Lord, we, we can become despondent and discouraged, and life doesn't seem fair, but we're so grateful that we have a heavenly father who loves us, who gets fired up about us, who has his son Jesus praying for us as we walk through life. I pray for every man in this room this morning, those watching online, Lord, will you challenge us by your word today? Will you do it, Lord? Spirit of God, will you... Hmm, Convict us maybe of areas we've kind of compromised, settled for. Instead of settling for the best you have for us, we've settled for mediocrity, Lord. So, So do your good work, we pray. We trust you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right. We're talking about the Cinderella man, and I would say uh, Jephthah's kind of a Cinderella man in the book of Judges. Um, um, after 18 years of Israel doing what it wanted, uh, you, you know that cycle, disobedience, then disaster comes, judgment from God. And in the midst of, of dealing with um, hardship and, and foreign countries coming in and occupying the land, uh, the people of Israel would call out to the Lord, Lord, help us. We messed up again. And God, out of his mercy and his grace, he shows up and he delivers them and says, come on, now live for me. We will. And about two months later, they go back to drifting. Uh, so, so symbolic of we humans. Um, we can make promises, but uh, uh, we have to become intentional about our faith. And that's what God was hoping for with the nation of Israel. And, in, and we see in, in uh, so for 18 years, Israel was doing its own thing, man. They, they pushed God out. Trouble was coming. The Ammonites were occupying. And... Um, God, in this text, had typically raised up a deliverer for the, for the nation of Israel. In this chapter, he doesn't. It's the people that recognize a deliverer, which I believe God set the whole stage for that to happen. Without the people knowing it, God was setting the stage with, with Jephthah to be a leader for the nation of Israel, to bring deliverance to, to a nation. And so um, we can see there's a battle. There's a battle for, for, for men. And um, there's, there's a slide here, Minute War. And um, <laughs> gentlemen, I don't think I have to convince you today that there is a battle for masculinity and manhood. Yo, is that yo or no? Yo, yeah, man, I, 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 I think we could all say that's, we don't have to look far, man. Our society in this country is aggressively devaluing masculinity and manhood right before our very eyes. Manhood is under attack and Masculinity is being redefined. In sitcoms, if, if you have the nerve to watch them, show men as immature boys. Fathers are buffoons. But I, wanna, I just want to encourage you, man. I, there, there's something inside of me that just kind of rises up against that. I, I want to push back on that kind of stuff. Manhood matters. Masculinity makes a difference because that's the way God planned it, friends. To, to just take a snapshot on why and how masculinity and manhood matters in our, in our culture, check this out. These are um, statistics. 90% of all runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders are from fatherless Homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 
75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients in drug treatment centers are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prisons are from fatherless homes. I think we could say fathers make a difference, wouldn't you? Hmm? I think so. I think it's pretty obvious. Why do you think masculinity and manhood are under attack today? Because of these simple statistics. It is undermining the foundation of our country. Where men are no longer being men in leading their families. And I believe that God is calling you and I as men this morning, online and in this room, to step up and be the man that God wants you to be. When we look at this man, Jephthah, he has every excuse why he could sign off on being a man. He's got every excuse in the book to become a casualty. And yet we see God used adversity. God used storms in life to temper him, to, to define him, to be the man in God's perfect timing. And I believe that's for all of us, that God is working in you and me if we let him. He's developing you and I to become the man that he wants to use for his honor and glory. So, in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, uh, this was a challenge to the men, the leaders of the families in their society. God is saying, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Gentlemen, this is your responsibility to pass on to your children, sons and daughters, what it means to be a follower of Christ. You are the chief discipler in your home. That's God's plan. You cannot defer it to your wife, and you cannot defer it to the leaders at your church. It starts with you. You've got to step up and lead. You may feel uncomfortable with it, and if you feel uncomfortable, talk to another dude about it, you know? Get encouragement. We need to encourage each other. But here's the deal. Every single one of us as men, and if you're a teenage male this morning, I'm talking to you as well. We've got to determine whether I'm going to be passive for the rest of my life, just put it on passive mode and coast and cruise through life and let life point you in the direction it wants to take you, or you can set your thermostat to the temperature you want to run on. And you want your house to be run on. How hot do you want it to be in your house for God? You as a man have that responsibility. And so, number one, <laughs> me, a, a great warrior. Now, Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. Now, that really fits in well with verse 28 and 31, doesn't it? That we read earlier? It sure does. Uh, Jephthah 
of Gilead was a great warrior. We, we see the results of that on the battlefield. That's why he was called a great warrior, because he experienced victory from the Lord. The Lord gave him victory. Today, there's a great need of, of men of God. Men that are known for their character, their con conduct, their conversation. Men who love Jesus, men who love their wives, their children. They love their Bibles. They love their relationship with the Lord. Now, here's the cool thing as well. Jephthah, his name is found in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11:21. We find, we can circle his name. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Go ahead and circle Jephthah, man. He's going to be your hero by the end of the day. Jephthah, his name means the breaker through, the breaker through. Kind of symbolic too, kind of prophetic, the breaker through, because everything in his life, his early life, was pushing against him for him to self-destruct right before your very eyes. And instead of that happening, God used the bad stuff as building blocks in his life to become a great leader in the nation of Israel. And so, so we see the breaker through. Maybe you want to put that behind your name. Frank, the breaker through, and your last name. You can do that. Yeah, you can do that. You can change your name. There, there's an there's a administration office that's just waiting for you to do that. Uh, Iowa County, Dane County, Green County, wherever you want to go, go ahead. The breaker through, man. Life's not going to put me in a corner. I'm going to stay strong for God. Now, what I like about this story is as we dive into it, Jephthah really grew up in a hall of shame. A hall of shame. And he ends up in God's hall of fame. Don't you want to do that, guys? Don't you want to end up in God's hall of fame? Hmm? We see that in verse 1a, he was a great warrior. And probably we jump off the rails here and we think, oh, man, he probably got all the breaks in the world. You know, he lived on Easy Street. You know, he lived in the best neighborhood, went to the best school. Not true, not true, not true. Number two, not a great start. Let's pick it up. Let's fill in the blanks. How did he become a great warrior? He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons. Your birth, gentlemen, was not a mistake. Let's not leave the ladies out either. Your birth was not a mistake either. He was divinely planted by the hand of Almighty God. He intricately put your life together on purpose and for a purpose. And I tell you what, our world is out to destroy the image of God by destroying human life at will. And so, we're told that his father was Gilead. Let's pull up the map. This is where, this is where, um, no, I get to use this little gizmo, man. 
Gilead right there. There he is. Boom. That's the land. So, so Gilead, that's in Israel, by the way. How do we know? That's the Dead Sea, the Jordan River going up to the Sea of Galilee farther north. But that's kind of the, the territory. So, so the land of Gilead was named after Gilead, the father of Jephthah. He was a man of influence. Um, and somewhere along the line, um, Jephthah, you, you would say, you know, there was an unplanned pregnancy. You know, he was a mistake. Um, how would you, how would you, how do you think the news covered Mayor Gilead um, slept with a prostitute? Not only sleep, slept with her, but impregnated her. How, how do you think that would go over in the news? Well, we can tip our hat slightly to Gilead because he didn't try to cover up his sin nor deny contributing in, in raising his son. And he embraces Jephthah to the point where he brings him into his own home. Now, I want you to think about Jephthah for a moment. We can't, we can't blame him for his birth. Um, he didn't choose his parents, nor did he choose the circumstances of his birth. But because of the sins of his father, Jeff, Jephthah became an outsider. You know, He was an outsider looking in. Everybody kind of stiff-armed him. And um, we see that he, he was the son of a father who was unfaithful to his marriage vows. His dad had a fling and Jephthah paid a price. Isn't that how sin usually is? Hmm? Dads, you have a tremendous amount of power. You can make your family feel loved, confident, relaxed. But if you're not a whole man, if you're a wounded man, you make your family feel small, tense, and frustrated. You ever been in a home? I've been in a home where I felt very uncomfortable because the man was wounded. Because he was wounded, he was angry. Because he was angry, he verbally abused those he supposedly loved. I wanted to get out of that environment as quick as I could, but I couldn't. You know, that's what men do. That's the kind of power you have. But we see that God never makes mistakes and he never does anything accidentally. And I'm grateful for that too. In Psalm 139, 15, David writes, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I love it, man. The, the dudes that embrace evolution, here, they, they got a problem, you know, with that. Because they think, that, you know, every human life's a random chance in this massive universe. But here's the thing. When you put your faith in Christ, when you believe God's word, that God created each and every one of us. You know, when I go for walks, I just look up in the sky and I look at the trees and I look at the birds and I look at the grass and I look at the flowers and I think, God, you made it all. Oh, you made it all. It's beautiful. You made it. I don't have 
to have a debate on the street. Did everything come out of the swamp? No. It's all God. It's beautiful. And you're beautiful because you were handmade by God. He's got his stamp on your life. I'm so grateful for creation and all that entails. Gentlemen, we need accountability. On our own, we are waiting for a disaster to happen. Howard Hendricks did a study of 246 pastors who lost their ministries. Howard Hendricks, by the way, taught at uh, a variety of Christian universities, seminaries, wrote several books, many books. And he said there's four common denominators in these men who fall off the rails. Their devotional lives become stale or academic. In other words, they just do it to do it. They lose their passion for it. Two, they have no accountability. They're lone rangers. Three, they thought it was okay to counsel women alone. And four, they thought it could never happen to them. Mm -hmm. Do you know this is still going on today? Where pastors ignore the warning signs. And men ignore the signs. And Gilead ignored the signs and had a fling with a prostitute. Now, that's not the end of the story. We see in 1C that he was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Not only was, um, did Jephthah have an unfaithful father, his mother was a prostitute, and that carried a lot of shame in that culture, for sure, growing up. You were kind of marked at school, on the playground, in the neighborhood. You were the lonely one. You were the one that kids picked on. And um, we see in verse 2a that Gilead's wife also had several sons. So, so evidently, uh, Jephthah was not born from Gilead's wife. He was born from the prostitute, but therefore brought into a home where there were half-brothers roaming around. Number three, this is what happens. He gets kicked out of the house. I don't know, men, have you ever been kicked out of the house? I guess not. <laughs> listen, listen, there's times, I think for all of us as men, maybe we're not physically kicked out of the house, but mentally we are, you know. Maybe growing up, you're mentally kicked out of the house um, you're, you're out on the street on your own, you're Roman, you, you're, you're to care for yourself. Kicked out of the house, let's look at it, verse 2b, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So they keep pointing their finger, you see? It keeps coming up. It's like Jephthah could say, will you guys stop talking about it? I'm sick and tired! I'm being called a son of a prostitute. I can't take it anymore. I mean, he heard that every time he had a birthday. Happy birthday to the son of a prostitute. They made up their own song. Middle school, high school. 
He got sick of it. When you're tagged and you're saying you're a loser, man, you're not, your life is worthless, it's not going to count for anything. Um, how, how would you feel? How would you respond? A lot of men would follow the trail. I'm a nobody. I might as well become bad because that's what everybody expects me to be, bad. Jephthah was an accident. He was unloved. He was unwanted. Being ridiculed, as we all know, we've, I'm sure we've all been ridiculed at some point in time. Um, it's not a fun place to be. When his dad, think about this, every time his dad looked at Jephthah in the house, it was a reminder of his mistake. Mrs. Gilead would look at Jephthah and it would remind her of her husband's mistake. And when they had family reunions with the half-brothers, they, the half-brothers got together and Jephthah was never in those photo shops, you know, in those photo shoots. They kept him outside. You know, you're not wanted here. And when Jephthah would look at himself in the mirror, he would say, I'm a son of a prostitute. I'm a nobody. And so he compensated by becoming the meanest kid on the block. You know, a bully. When I was growing up, we had a bully called Bruno. Bruno's a great name for a bully. Bruno the bully. I could tell you his last name, but it's very long. <laughs> Bruno! And, and I started hanging with the dude when I was in fourth grade. You know, because I thought Bruno was cool. Uh, but my parents, man, they had some, you know, they zeroed in, lasered in and said, you need to stop hanging around with Bruno. I'm glad I did. So verse 3, Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the lane of Tob. Let's see what, where that's at on the map. Uh Here's the land of Tob out here. So it's to the east of the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, the same Jordan River, Dead Sea. So everything's going on over here. They, he took off uh, to, an, to an arid place. And um, Jephthah was forced to take a hike, so to speak, and nobody believed in him. Once again, a reminder that Jeff's life had nothing to do with what he did. It was a, an accumulation of what others did to him. That's how life can be. Life can be unfair. A lot of people maybe deal with that kind of stuff. You know, it seems like everybody's picking on you. You've been wronged. Life is hard, and so you get ticked off at God. You become bitter at God. There's people that do that. In fact, I read this the other day, Mark, Proverbs 19.3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they are angry at the Lord. Have you seen that? You see that all the time. People are not wise, and they make foolish decisions, and the consequences for those decisions are not good, and so they get ticked off at God. How come God didn't bail me out, you know, with his magic wand? Uh, 
You know, that's, that's not the way it should be. But in this entire process, we see that Jephthah doesn't feel sorry for himself. He doesn't write a book about how hard life is. He doesn't uh, do a seminar on how to get revenge on your half-brothers who uh, were ticked off. Why did they kick him out, by the way? The father, Gilead, died, and it was time for the inheritance to be dispensed. And they said they had a family meeting without Jephthah, and they said, we do not want Jephthah to get a dime. It's all our money. That's why they forced him out of the house. And so... Jephthah could have said, God, you forgot about me. I'm in no man's land, in the land of Tob. Nobody cool lives in the land of Tob. And if you look at your life maybe right now, it's, it's a challenging, struggling time. Be encouraged from Hebrews 12. It says that this trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training the normal experience of children. God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. And so we all have choices on how we respond to life. And Jephthah could have been become bitter and angry and hardened his heart at God. Number four, a band of worthless men, verse 3b. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. I would say that Jephthah was the modern-day Robin Hood, you know? Everybody thought he got a bunch of losers. So, so um, I had a conversation with a, with, with a guy yesterday, and he was talking about his daughter, the youngest daughter, who was a challenge spiritually. And, and so they sent her to a Christian college, and they figured that would solve her problems. But instead, they said she found the wrong friends there too. Have you noticed that? Mm, you attract what's on the inside of you. And fortunately, that young lady has put her faith in Christ and now is following Jesus, which is very cool. But evidently, there's other men that grew up in, in a home that maybe wasn't the best. Their father was absent. The father abandoned them. The father was non-affectionate. The father was distant. The father was caught up in his career. They're all, and so all these young men are attracted to Jephthah because they're like-minded. They're all wounded. They're all towing their suitcases behind their camels, you know. It slows them down, but it's life. So, so... That leads us with this band of worthless men. Do they all sit around the campfire at night roasting marshmallows talking about how hard life was? Number five, decision time. It's decision time. It's decision time for you and me. Because if we want to look at life 
and feel sorry for ourselves. Um, it's not the last chapter. At about this time, what about this time? At about this time in history, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. And when the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. Why did they do that? Because Jephthah had a reputation. He knew how, like Robin Hood, he could defend himself and protect the innocent. And then the elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, aren't, aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why, why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? He's confused. This is a great time to get out his nuke button and nuke the elders of Gilead and say it's payback time, right? Well, they said, because we need you. Isn't it interesting? We need you. Before, we didn't want you around. Now we need you. If you lead us in the battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over the people of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. So they had to repeat the story. If you want, if, if I come with you and if, now check this out, if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, that's key. Because over the campfires, roasting marshmallows, I believe that Jephthah had an encounter with the Lord. I really do. I believe that it was there that Jephthah poured out his heart as a wounded man. A man who grew up being hated and marked and called a loser. And your life's never going to matter. And you're going to grow up and be a nobody. That's what you're going to be. And he poured his heart out before God. The pain, the rejection, the shame, he poured it all out before God. And guess what happened? God healed him from the inside out. He experienced the love of the Father and became a whole man. Because if he was wounded, he would have walked away from this opportunity. Do you realize every man in this room, you have an opportunity that God has allowed, he's allowed bad stuff. We live in a broken world. And God wants to use that bad stuff as building blocks, preparing you for the day when the Ammonites come running in after you, running in after your family. You need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm praying. I'm interceding. I'm standing with God. I'm going to see this thing through. Too many men are aborting the mission that God has for their destiny. They're running away from it. They're being passive. They're sitting in the closet, feeling sorry for themselves. And God is saying it's time to step up, man. It's time to put the thermostat up a few more degrees in your house. Do your kids see you reading the Bible? Do your kids seeing you worship the Lord? Do your kids see you serving their mother? Jephthah, man, because he had been healed. Friends, I've been healed from God has healed me. And I'm telling you, I had a great dad, you know? I had a great dad. In fact, my dad's story could be part of Jephthah's story. I, I, in fact, I wrote it down. My dad was born a preemie. He wasn't expected to live. They didn't even give a, my grandmother a birth certificate. 
His father was an alcoholic. He was the oldest of four kids. At 10 years old, he contracted osteomyelitis, and he wasn't expected to live. My grandmother put him on a streetcar and brought him to church with a high fever after the doctor said he will not survive. And he was prayed for, and he was healed. World War II, all his friends and he himself go to enlist. You know the pressure. Hmm? The excitement of going with your buddies to enlist. But he was rejected because of the damage the osteomyelitis did to his left ankle. That bone had been eaten away. So he got rejected. He gets his fiancee pregnant. They get married. They're forced to live with his bride's father because they can't afford it on their own. His wife, for most of their marriage, can't forgive him because she can't forgive herself. He never relents in his walk with God, has experienced the love of the Father. My father, around the campfire roasting marshmallows or whatever that was, my father had experienced the love of the Father to bring healing to him, even though his wife rejected him. And at the end of the day, my mother, battling cancer for three years, realized the pain that she brought herself and her family and finally allows God to forgive her and in the process forgives my father. And at the end of the day, all four of my dad's children are living for the Lord. See? See, there, there's another, you've all got stories like that. What the enemy meant for bad to destroy you, God used it for good, if you let him. Jephthah let God use the bad for good. And so will I choose revenge? Jephthah chose not to. I'm so grateful for that. No, he says, I believe God's, God's used my life. He's going to use me for his glory and honor. And you can't help but appreciate Jephthah's emphasizing the Lord here. The Lord, and if the Lord gives me victory. Do you see that? That's liberating. And will I choose to forgive? Verse 11, so Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and commander of the army at Mizpah. In the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he had said to the elders. In other words, he forgave his half-brothers, he let it go because he had experienced the forgiveness of his heavenly father. Jephthah was liberated to forgive. Is there anybody you need to forgive this morning? Is there anybody that's holding you back from walking as a man who's whole? I go back to Daryl Strawberry an aspect of forgiveness that can be easily overlooked is the need to forgive yourself. My mother needed to do that. It starts there. 
I believe that's where Satan does most, some of his most crippling work. The enemy loves to whisper in your ear and daily to remind you of your past sins, mistakes, and failures. And God's word calls the devil a liar, deceiver, thief, and murderer. His primary mission is to rob Christ followers of their joy, peace, and purpose. And if Satan can get you to camp out in the land of regret and remorse, then you can't be much of an ambassador for Christ. And when you're focused on your past, you can't fix your eyes on God's vision for your future or recognize the opportunities in front of you to serve and encourage others. Hurting people hurt people, especially the ones they love most. The beatings, critical words, and emotional abuse from my father, Daryl Strawberry says, broke me as a person. This hindered me from knowing how to become a true man of God. It stunted my emotional and spiritual growth. My father did not surrender to God and therefore never knew the love and healing power of his heavenly father until shortly before he died. God calls us to embrace this way of living and to model them for our children. This is the answer to the drug epidemic, the divorce rate, and the growing incarcerated population in our world today. My father came from serious abuse and neglect. I swore I would never be like him. Then one day I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw a vision of my father staring right in my face. The same pattern of abuse and neglect was continuing in me and I finally realized I had to make a choice. You have to make a choice. As a man, you have to make a choice. It's time to make a choice. It's time to let it go and forgive. If Jephthah had not forgiven, he would have never been in the Hall of Fame. That's where God wants you. That's where God wants me. Number six, let it go and be used by God. I just want to encourage you as men today, let it go, forgive, let it go, and let God use you. That's what Jephthah did. Verse 28, but the king of Ammon paid no attention to Jephthah's message. Do you see that again? Again, Jephthah is rejected. He's rejected. He's pushed off. He could have, he could have been reminded of growing up, you know, in that environment and, and had a relapse, but he chose not to. Because at that time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites and the Lord gave him victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. You guys aren't singing with me. What happened? Come on, come on. That's good, David. That's good singing right there. Thank God for it. Jephthah led his army. Why? Because he forgave. He let go. What could have crippled him, he said, God forgave me. God restored me. God loves me. He's going to use me. He's waiting to do that in your life. First Corinthians 16, 13, be alert. 
Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. And be strong. Gentlemen, I encourage you today to be alert spiritually. To stand firm in your faith. To act like a man and be strong. Be strong. Gary Wilkerson, the son of David Wilkerson, David Wilkerson, the same dude who was in New York City fighting the gangs, started Teen Challenge. Gary, his son, wrote this. I feel like I've been a good father to my four children. We had the faith talk, the sex talk, the just say no drug talk. However, some of my children ended up on drugs. One son even became addicted to heroin and became homeless. I'm the son of a long line of pastors and good fathers, so I was emotionally upended and confused and deeply crushed. I had imagined a good family tree, and my desire to do this fathering thing well would insulate my family from the brokenness of modern living. But I was wrong. It has been said that a father is a son's first hero and a daughter's first love. It is also true that a father can create their, their child's first wounds and do great damage to their souls. And being a father is without a doubt one of the most important things anyone can do, and even trying your best doesn't necessarily ensure a trouble-free family experience. I take some comfort in knowing that God, the perfect father, had quite a bit of trouble with his first son, Adam. Yet what I also know is that trying to be a good father does make a difference. My kids have all come back to faith, sobriety and healthy living. They are now all married and deeply love their own kids. I didn't do it perfectly, but I did it. I stayed in there. I struggled and failed, but I refused to be abusive, neglectful, and emotionally unavailable. In my own brokenness and with my own deep wounds, I did the hard work of life transformation. I looked at things within me that caused those around me, especially my family, to be hurt, confused, or feel anything less than loved and cherished. I believe a father's first work is to create within himself a heart that is full of faith and love, able to overcome our own demons and move into our kids' lives with the fullness, passion, and positive influence only a father can bring. This Father's Day, why not take a few hours to Assess your own heart, your own soul, and your own behaviors. Take, take an internal inventory. Ask yourself, am I holding on to anger, resentment, bitterness? Do I have addictions that are harming my family? Am I so engrossed in my desire for success that my kids are missing a father? Am I in any way unhealthy in spirit, soul, or body? Go deep. Even check the way you eat or lack exercise. These things can cause us to lose the vast amount of energy it takes to father the active nature of children in this age. It's not too late to change. You can be changed from a neglectful father to a present one, from an angry father to a loving one, from a wounded soul to a healed man who can share grace, peace, and deeply rooted love with his family. Father's Day is an amazing opportunity not just to receive a card or a nice meal out, but to encourage yourself to become the man you know you want to be, can be, and that God will help you become. I say amen to that. I want to encourage you men 
it's not too late. It wasn't too late for Jephthah. This can be a new day, a new beginning right here, right now, online or in this room. To invite your Heavenly Father to become your spiritual leader. To know that His Son, Jesus, went to the cross to pay for your sin, my sin, debt in full. Why? Because He wanted to have a relationship with you, a loving relationship with you. A Heavenly Father who loves you, who created you, who sent His Son to die for you. And Jesus came out of that grave, ascended to the Father, and he's praying for you even right now. Why? Because he loves you. So Jesus, today I come as a man, as a woman. Forgive me of my sin. I have rejected you. I have pushed you off. I have been God of my life. Forgive me. And I believe you went to the cross, Jesus, to pay for my sin in full. There's nothing I can do to earn your forgiveness, it's already been paid in full. Thank you. And I invite you to come into my life right here, right now, to help me to become the person that you want me to be. I give you permission, Lord, to do that. As you have forgiven me, help me to forgive those that have hurt me, that have rejected me, that have wounded me. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to cement the work this morning. That today, because of today, our lives will never be the same again. Because of your word, your truth. Thank you, Lord for invading our lives with your love, your forgiveness, and your strength. Use us as you use Jephthah. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.